Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Booth Podcast. A bit of a sadder episode today as we mourn the loss of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 2021 season. Comes to an end with the loss to Winnipeg in the West Final. The third straight season that Saskatchewan season has come to an end against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So we're a little dejected. We're a little upset, but we're ready to bring you some content nonetheless. How's it going today, Dave? Uh, it's, I mean, it's a tough week for a lot of reasons that we're going to list off. A lot of scores that are going to come at you from Saskatchewan here, but you know, when the hometown green and white don't get it done, it's, it's tough, especially one game away from the Great Cup. It is tough. Like Dave said, it was a rough week in all of Saskatchewan sports. The weekend kicked off with the Vanier Cup, the U Sports Championship game. It was the University of Saskatchewan Huskies versus the Western Mustangs. And it did not go Saskatchewan's way. It was it was a good game. Uh, the Huskies were off going into the half. It was looking good, but Western did come away with it with the final score being 27-21 for the Mustangs. They take the Vanier Cup. That's a, it's a good showing, though, for how often do you honestly see one of the two Saskatchewan teams, the Rams or the Huskies or that kind of thing, honestly even make it that far, right? Like, I'm sure, hey, would they have loved to have won it? Like, of course they would have, but... I mean, that's a great run, especially for the U of S that's not widely known as like, oh, this is the Canadian football school, right? So to have that show up, have that show out, Flory still decently new coach at the U of S, that really helps put them on the map, right, for everything, right? Even trying to recruit guys around from Alberta and stuff too, helps you come in when you know you have a good program. Yeah, just a, a great team there, led by a great offensive line. Do you hear this stat? The offensive line of the University of Saskatchewan Huskies has a higher combined weight than the offensive line of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Wow. Hey. <laughs> that's that's a bunch of boys that are we're going to see in the CFL very soon, I'm sure. Yeah, that's, that's some serious weight thrown around then. I mean, that makes sense to why that running game was so effective all year long, right? Because that really ran their offense through was that the running game. When you got big dogs up front and ready to eat, makes sense. Yeah, so congratulations to the U of S Huskies on a successful season. A great showing, and congratulations to the Western Mustangs on their Vanier Cup championship. Great to see thriving Canadian football across the country. Then we switch up to a sport. We haven't talked about, I don't think at all on this podcast yet, but they are a Saskatchewan team. We're fans. We got some friends who are big fans of the team too. We'll get into some more content about this team in the coming weeks. It's the Saskatchewan rush of the National Lacrosse League. Kicked off the season this past weekend on Saturday night in Halifax against the Thunderbirds. And again, didn't go the rush way. A loss in overtime, 12 to 11 to the Thunderbirds. A tough one. A tough one for the rush. That's a, the rush is like um, the rush is like a phenomenon that's taken over Saskatchewan and Saskatoon specifically as like 
okay, we have this team. And then it really has just become a hotspot of a place to go on a Saturday night, right? Or on a weekend. And they've been rewarded. They've done quite well, from what I understand, throughout the years that they've been here already. They've done well, and they are a good team. But unfortunately, Halifax in the opener, you drop a, a close one like that, but it's a long season with a team like that, good like that. You see, you see Halifax again. In an overtime game like that, it could go either way, right? They'll get that one back. Yeah, definitely. Again, yeah, this Saskatchewan rush, the phenomenon, as you said, has completely taken over northern Saskatchewan, I would say. Right. They're north-central Saskatchewan. Um, just a team that has come in. They came from Edmonton in 2015. Um, they were the Edmonton rush beforehand. And, and were unanimously liked as a team when they came here. Had immediate success in attendance and on the field winning two championships since 2015 and 2016 and 2018. Right. That's what I mean. Like when you give a place, especially like Saskatchewan, that doesn't really have a lot to do. You give them a team and you give them an experience and you give them a good product on the field. That's all good things happening. Right. So Russia, Rush Mania is taking over still hot. And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll cover more of that later on here. Yes, we will. And then the week rounded out with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders heading to Winnipeg for the West Final. Oh, a heartbreaker from Winnipeg. It was a good game. It was an amazing defensive game. The offense did get some things clicking at some points in the game too, but it wasn't enough to take down the mighty Bombers. The Riders fall 21-17. to 17. That was a classic West Division slugfest, man. That is what the West Division is built on. You know what I mean? Like, even in all of those years, when you think about the West Division, you have to play good defense and you have to, you have to win the slug. You have to win in the trenches, right? Football is a game of physicality. And the West Division has always been like that. And for a team that was riding so high, like the Bombers, to only win that game what was it, 21... 21-17. 21-17, right? Like, hey, man, that's not a very high-scoring affair, in, to be all in all honesty, right? And I don't think if you really watched how good these teams have been lately, you should really expect it to have been a high-scoring game. That Bombers defense has got all the accolades, but like I was saying, man, that Riders team as a defensive unit is the best defensive unit in the league. And they kept us in there for all the way right till the end. Yeah, it was it was a hot start by the Riders. It looked very good for that defense coming out the gate. Bombers got into the red zone a couple times, and it felt like they couldn't get anything done. And it was just they had an automatic turnover each time they got in the red zone. Yeah. And it was you felt the collective spirits of Rider Nation rise and rise as we all kind of went in we saw the injuries we had to tights and dearborn and, and um duke being a game time decision not 100 percent healthy we all i think we're a little on edge about what's going to happen here and the riders started so hot we all got our hopes up and that bombers defense shut them down they had a great game too oh a tough one a tough one for the riders it's it's frustrating to continue to have the same song and dance every year. Yeah. This is the third year in a row, four, maybe even fourth. Three, you can say 
even with different, even with a defense, different defensive coordinator. Now Chris Jones started us having a really a mighty defense. Shivers has taken over. The defense has been great. And you really can't complain about them. Sometimes maybe they don't play as hard as they absolutely their hardest effort. Right. And who would expect that? It's a long season. It's football. But to see a defense play so good always, the same thing happened last year in the West final. Our defense held us in, held us in, held us in. Last year, the problem was, can Stephen Mack do even call a defense? This year, we bring in an offensive guru as far as CFL standards go, Jason Moss. And really, our defense, our, our, our offense really improved at all this year, though. Let's be honest about that. Did it improve? I wouldn't say it improved. I don't think I don't think it fell off by any means. Nope. I just think it was the same. And to say to change a coordinator and still have just the same production on offense, which is on the lower end, still that's frustrating, right? Yeah, it is frustrating. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see next year when I I hope that the Riders are a healthier team. This was a team that struggled with injuries all year, having I think throughout the year over 25 players on the sixth game injured list at points during the season. It was a rough year as far as injuries go. And like yeah, this team fought through that. This was a especially, team that especially still... having those injuries, those injuries at receiver is one which disrupts your game, obviously, but then yeah. the big ones like not having Labat there and, that rotation of our offensive line the entire year. Yep. You know, you know how many guys saw action at tackle this year? Like I can remember at least like five guys playing at different points, playing tackle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a season that the riders had to fight through a lot of adversity, which is why I'm viewing this. And I think a lot of rider nation is viewing this as a season that was not a disappointment and was not a failure of a season. We did not make it to the great cup, but we, we have so much promise and hope for this team going forward into next year when the Grey Cup is in Regina. That is going to be a team that wants to get there. That is going to be a team that fought like Hamilton did this year to get to that home Grey Cup. And I think they've got one of the best shots at doing it for sure. I think if there's one thing we can take away from that, it's like maybe – like it, I'm a big believer of like don't take moral victories, and this isn't a moral victory by any means. But for how how handily that Winnipeg team has smacked teams around, and especially for how bad they smacked us around in Labor Day and then the Banjo Bowl, to come out and put an effort like that to make them sweat till the, the very last minute to get that win, like at least that is something that we can say. We were we got beat, but we weren't beaten down, right? Exactly. It was it's 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 hope for Rider Nation, and it's it's an excitement for next year. You can feel it already. Yeah. You can feel that these fans and this team are ready to get back in action and, and fight for a chance to play a great cup at home at Mosaic. I mean, I guess I'll have to – we have to be these people now, but, like, we have to give Winnipeg as well some credit. Yes. You don't – you're not a good team. You're not a bad team, actually, I guess. You have to be a good team is what I'm trying to say. Let's start three times and not get there. Okay. You have to be a good team to win a game when you turn the ball over six times. And that's what happened. There were six, six takeaways by the riders. The bombers lost the ball six total times and they still ended up winning the game. 
that tells you what you need to know. I think the thing that if you're a Bombers fan that you really like to see is you didn't beat us one way. You didn't, you beat us in, in all ways. You know what I mean? Harris and Oliviera a little bit. They were on the ground. They were solid. They were steady. They were getting four or five yards of pop, it seemed. They beat us with the deep balls. You saw Darvin Adams, Kenny Lawler making big catches over the middle. You saw Dembski with the yards after catch kind of thing. They beat us in, in all the ways. Their offense is clicking. Definitely. That you could see that 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 run game is just so powerful with Andrew Harris. It's just that guy is a different beast of a running back. Goes for 23 carries for 136 yards in his first game back from injury. That's that shows confidence in a guy when you give him 23 carries in his first game in probably almost two months, I think. Yeah. That's I think, yeah. The thing too about that team is that defense. It doesn't seem like maybe if my memory is a little bit blurry and you if you disagree and you pull up the stats or whatever, disagree with me. It didn't seem that that defense, it didn't do the big, the big munch, the big Winnipeg, like, we're going to do this takeaway. We're going to have these like crippling sacks on second down, this and that, but they tightened up when they needed to tighten up. They hit the balls down they needed. They contained when they need to contain. You know what I mean? They did the fundamentals of a good defense. Richard Hall's defense is fundamentally sound with star players like Big Hill and Jefferson. Winston Rose, you you name them, and they played solid fundamental defense. And you could see that last drive of the game when Fajardo had us going down the field. They they stopped us on three straight plays at the end when it was getting desperate. When they were bending, they didn't break. That's what good defenses do. That is what the good defenses do. That was just a solid defense performance. I'm looking at the stats. There was no standout player. Adam Big Hill had eight tackles. Um, you had five players with one sack each for Winnipeg. You had no interceptions. So it was, it was really just a fundamentally sound defensive performance. Right. Whereas I would say when in that semifinal game, Calgary really gave the riders different fits in different areas of the defense. And then the riders overcame, right. And this Winnipeg defense was completely different. It was everybody did their job, did their part, made the play, when it came to them and that's how they won it. Right. Which Definitely. is, which is a good sign to see. Right. Because we know what guys can do like Jeff code, what Jefferson, what big Hill can do. And they didn't even have to do it. Right. So that's a good sign if you're a bomber fan that that defense is cooking on the right track. Definitely. Going back to the riders. I hate to ask the question, but I have to ask the question question because everybody else is asking the question. Your season's on the line. It's third down. Are you throwing it to Mitch Picton? Is that your is that your game plan? Um, I it might, see the problem with it is like I remember I asked you this when we were watching this, right? Yeah. And with some time to think about it, a no, don't go to Mitch Picton. No disrespect to the guy, but probably don't. But I think the fundamental problem with that maybe is the play call. Like I said, I'm not a play caller. I'm not going to play armchair OC and tell you what I would have done. But I'm, I think there's probably a lot of plays in your playbook where you could give it to a, specifically to the hands of a playmaker by design to get, what was it, three yards, I think? Three, yeah. Yeah, third and three. 
where you didn't have to do these like choice routes, right? Choice to pick who he sees is open, right? Especially because there was at least two people did that stop and curl at five where Picton was, right? Yeah. You could have, des- you probably should have designed something to put it into somebody else's hands. But as I said, I'm not going to play armchair quarterback, but it's just, it was a suspect play call, right? I think it was. And yes, again, this is nothing against Mitch Picton. He's a great Saskatchewan receiver. He's, He's just not one of the playmakers on this team this season. I think this guy has definitely potential to become a playmaker in this league in years to come, but he's not that guy on this team right now. And it's, and it's an interesting decision to go to him on third down. I, I would have liked to see something yeah, like you said, a little more thought through, I think, than just five yard curls on third and three with your season on the line right maybe something with Cody's legs he'd make make him get the three with his feet like he'd been so good at that all year I I I don't hate the play call they made but I think there was better options like I said we weren't there we're not in the huddle we didn't break we didn't break down the game the same way an OC would so we can't say what the play call would be it just seems pretty suspect to, to call that play on the literal most important play of your entire season, right? That's all. Nothing against anybody specifically. It's just pretty suspect. I agree. That was the season for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The team played well throughout the season. The defense especially played well. They finished the regular season with a record of 9-5. and five. They host the playoff game. They beat Calgary. They go to Winnipeg and their season ends there. This team looks forward to next year. I'm sure we heard some interviews with players uh, from their locker room clean out. This team sounds motivated for next year already. These guys want to get in action, take limited time off this offseason and just keep the ball rolling. So it's good to see that out of your team. I haven't quite looked at the list of potential free agents yet, but we'll we'll do a little deep dive into the riders offseason and and maybe some changes that need to be made or, or anything like that in, in next week's episode after our Grey Cup recap. But moving on to the other game in the CFL that was yesterday was the Eastern final between the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Toronto Argonauts. And Hamilton does come away with the win as we predicted, I don't want to brag too much, but we did predict that one. And they are headed home to the Grey Cup in Hamilton. That's got to feel good for that team. I mean, I mean, we're not the only people who predicted, like, hey, man, at the end of the year here, Hamilton looks hot. Like, this team looks like they're going to ride high and take it back home, play for the Grey Cup on home, to- on home turf, right? But they did, man. If you look at the last five weeks of the season, the only really blimp on that was that game against Toronto, right? And you almost got the feeling, like we talked about, like, hey, you're going to remember this one. They're coming again. And then and it was, that's exactly what happened, right? You even see, even at the start when the offense, the Hamilton offense had no productivity to speak of. Hamilton was keeping it to field goals, right? It was 12 points was like what, what the first half production for the Toronto offense was. And you could just get the feeling hey, I don't think kicking 12 points in field goals is going to get it done against this Hamilton team 
because at some point with the players on that team, you know what I mean? They're going to figure this out and it's going to be a game. And <laughs> sure enough, once Dane Evans popped into the game, he sparked the tie cats and there was no stopping them after that. Definitely. I think it was a big thing is this Hamilton team had that memory of the, the, their last game against Toronto. And it was a rough game for Jeremiah Masoli specifically. Right. And when that team saw Jeremiah Masoli to start to struggle again, it, the decision was made to pull him. And it turned out to be the right decision because Dane Evans goes 16 for 16 for 249 yards and a touchdown. That is mental. 16 for 16. So, I mean, that is interesting in its own right, is that they – do you remember when, at what point, they made the switch? I don't know exactly what point in the game it was. Because it was before halftime, was it not? I believe so. So that's really interesting. It makes you think, like, these coaches knew, like, hey, maybe we should start Dane Evans, but we promised Mazzoli this was his team. We paid him like this is his team. But, like, maybe they didn't even trust that, right? Yeah. And, I mean, there's maybe there's good reason for it because you saw the spark that offense got right away. The moment Dane Evans hit the field, Ticat fans in the stands, who were most of the fans of that Toronto game, were cheering. You could hear the cheer audibly. People were ready to see Dane Evans. He sparked that team, and they did not look back after that. Oh, they didn't. There's been a growing want, even – when Masoli was playing good is there there's a lot of Hamilton fans that just have all their faith in Dane Evans right and I think a lot of them got their wish and were proved right this week I think you see the thing for me is like and I try not to play like I just want to see the other guy I try not to play that way but for the for the style of football that I like to see Dane Evans kind of moves the needle more for me. Yeah. He's a little bit grittier in just the way that if he's going to take the ball, he does it. He's a little bit more about the rhythm, the rhythm accuracy game, a little bit more so than Mazzoli just by the nature of his skill set. Whereas you feel like Mazzoli almost has to try to keep himself contained at points because he knows his arm and he knows his running ability, right? And he's been injured so much. I think that's the thing too, is like, it's hard when you're hurt so much to have the same confidence you've always had to get the rhythm when stuff isn't cooking, right. That kind of thing. Whereas Dane Evans has been here and he's been waiting. Yeah, and uh, I said, it's, I, I almost wonder too, if Mazzoli, it's a mental thing for Jeremiah as much as anything, because he saw what it's supposed to be. His team did with a different quarterback last year, getting all the way to the great cup game, getting going 15 and three, like, that probably does eat at a guy. You, how could it not, right? Yes, it's said. It's been said all year. These two guys, they work so well together. They picture themselves as a quarterback tandem, and they're they're one quarterback. But if you're Jeremiah Masoli, there's no way this can't get in your head. I don't care if you're a pro athlete or a junior athlete or anything. Something like that. Something like having Dane Evans on the bench behind you is gonna get in your head, right? But I mean, and it's tough now, especially when he does go in, throws for 100% completion, leads your team all the way back, and you comfortably win the East final to go home, win the East division, right? 
So, I mean, let's just get right to the question then. There's no way you can start Mazzoli now. I don't, I don't think so. I think we'll get into it a little bit more with our Grey Cup preview. But I think if you had to make the decision right now, you got to go with Dane Evans. I think something could be said to change people's mind if Dane didn't have the game that he did in the East final, if they would have won, but he would have, I mean, thrown a incompletion. Like, yeah, yeah, right. And I mean, that's just that, right? So this is a, it's a, it's a interesting circumstance regardless. Right. Yeah. But as we said, the tie cats did get that win. They sparked it at the right time and they really ran away with it in the second half. Um, I know, like we said, we know that Toronto had good players and they had a good team, but after all of the success Hamilton's had to never win the big one at home, you could feel the groundswell coming that the Ticats were going to come in here and get this win. They knew it. We knew it. Regardless of what the first half was, that team is too hot to deny. Exactly. So that's how that game ended. And then some things happened after the game and things got crazy. If you have not seen the videos yet, you need to go to Twitter right now and just look at the Argos players jumping into the crowd, going after Hamilton fans who had poured beer on them, who had swung at them from behind the fences and from behind the stands. It was It was crazy to watch. And I think the takeaway that I've taken, I see a lot of people contradicting it on Twitter. I called out a couple people, Rod Peterson, sorry. Um, But if you're a player, I don't care what a fan does. Your job is not to go into the stands and attack that fan. Does that fan deserve to get his ass beat? Probably but let stadium security and the law handle it. I mean, so here's the thing. You're a professional athlete playing sports, especially a lot of those guys aren't Canadian citizens in a different country. You need to, you, you have to be held to a different standard. Like you said, did that Ticat fan probably deserve to get his ass kicked? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. He's being a piece of shit. You bet he is. But you're the pro athlete. You're on the field. He paid to see you. You don't stoop yourself lower to literally jump, jump over, pull yourself up into the stands and then go run and try to attack a fan. Yeah. I don't care. Whatever, whatever happened, you got spit on, you got drinks thrown on you. Hey dude, you're a professional athlete. That is a fan. That's where it goes. Yeah. You, I know you're, it's emotional. You just lost a a game that would get you to the championship. But I assume unless these players were some sort of ungodly talents, you've lost big games before. You played division one college football. You've probably had fans berate you, yell, you throw stuff at you. You can't let that get in the way. So, I mean, what, what sort of action do you take now? Because maybe, yeah, sure, maybe that guy deserved it, but you have to take some sort of action to find these guys or... I think definitely... I don't know. So, yes, I think if you're Chris Edwards, who was kind of the main instigator of on the player's side 
of this entire thing. He was the first into the stands. He threw the swing at the player who came up and pushed him in the chest. You're suspended. I'm sorry, you're going to start the season in the locker room because you're suspended. That's what's going to happen. I think it's definitely going to be a league suspension. The fan will likely get possibly criminal charges and he will be for sure banned from attending CFL games. I mean, that's the thing too, is like, I know there's whole things on video and there's who started, who didn't, but like, I didn't hear anything, but you're honestly like at this point where you are, you're lucky that like, if you don't actually have legal action come on you, if they just chalk it down to like, everybody's riled up about sports, you're lucky, right? Because this could be way worse than it is. It definitely could be. I think it was, it was a worry that I had. And I think a lot of other people had about this Argos team going into this season when we start them kind of build this team and we're just bringing a lot of players that almost looked like they were building a super team. They were just bringing a ton of players that were just big names in this league had done great things over the past season. And it got into people's heads. What about all the egos you're bringing on this team? Yeah. Then you see, that's, that's like a really good point that I'm going to relate to the NFL now because I heard an interview I think it was with Troy Aikman when the Rams have brought in all the star players, right? OBJ and Von Miller and all these guys. And he said, have you ever actually seen in football an all-star team be assembled and win championships? Like football, as much as it is a, is a team game, it's a chemistry, a locker room, a culture game. And if you have too many big personalities, football is a game where it's going to fall apart. Maybe it can work in basketball when there's six guys and five of them are all-stars, well, at least that's what it is. But football is the ultimate team game. 12 guys on the field. If there's too much friction in that locker room, it's not going to work. And it's been proven NFL, CFL, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. This was a wild week for the Toronto Argonauts. Started off with the whole situation where they send players, including starting quarterback McLeod Bethel-Thompson, to a Raptors game, a team representative and the team and the ownership group sent these players to this Raptors game to promote the, the East final, try to get ticket sales up. This was a direct violation of the CFL's COVID protocols, which required a mandatory four-day quarantine. This happened on Friday. The game was on Sunday. Right. This would have made McLeod Bethel Thompson and about five other players ineligible to play. This rule was widely viewed by the league, by people around the league as an outdated rule. Everybody who had to be in that, in that, at that Raptors game was vaccinated, including those players. There was a minimal risk of contracting COVID for those players. And the rule was changed on Friday. The league acted very fast on that to change it so that they had to quarantine two days, two nights, take PCR tests, take rapid tests all came back negative. They were good to play. All the players who went to the game were good to play. They all tested negative. So they did actually get to play. So that was number one on the imploding Toronto Argonauts. Can you imagine that though? What if oh. I'm not worried about the rule, not getting changed because like, Hey, that was literally league thing. Like, please promote our league to this game, blah, blah, blah. That's, I mean, that's what I was worried about the first hour. Everyone was like, can they actually do this? Cause this is like, criminal to make the Argonauts like lose players because of this that's cool I think the biggest thing was like what if a player got COVID there and what if it yeah. was McLeod Bethel Thompson 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad nothing happened and you held the integrity of the East final because everybody was good. Everybody was safe and we, we got the game, but like that was close to disaster and like it could have been really bad. Yeah. Then we had the game and when we got to the fourth quarter, Hamilton had turned it on. This Toronto team had imploded and it was not looking good. And then the penalties start piling on the after the whistle penalties and things like that. Again, we're seeing those egos come out that this team was built on. They really started to come out at that point. So that was, that was the start of it all. And then it'll be, it'll be interesting just to see from that. If Dinwiddie does take a different approach next season, because we know in the CFL, a lot of players play on one year. There's a lot of one years, you know? Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see selectively who he selects is a necessity to bring back and who isn't, right? Exactly. They, they tried this and there was a good team, but not as good of a team as like Hamilton, who has just such a, a good, well-rounded, solid culture and like a, uh, just a team that you can tell plays for each other, right? And plays for their coach. Exactly. It's it's really that adage of do you want all the best players or do you want the team? And obviously it's right. going to be a team. You said it before. This is a, the ultimate team sport. Right. You're not going to build a team with egos and win games. Right. So that team, that was the second instance of that team exploding or imploding. Then came the game and and we had some some issues with McLeod, Bethel Thompson, and a cameraman. And yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. Yeah, what is going on, Toronto? Bethel Thompson doesn't let the cameraman on the field to film the celebration and to film the players on the field. I think the cameraman was actually trying to film the Argos players, and the Argos players just lost the game, but obviously you have to film them. That's part of the cameraman's job. And McLeod, yeah, Bethel yeah. Thompson is trying to stop him from going on the field and filming these players. And he pushes the cameraman. Shane Richardson Richards come in and pushes the cameraman. And what what a disgrace to those players on that Argos team. McLeod Bethel Thompson, what are you doing? This cameraman is trying to do his job. You don't have a job if there's not a deal with TSN for this league. You get paid a lot of money from that deal, McLeod Bethel Thompson. You shouldn't see a cent of it after that. That's the thing is like, especially in any football league anywhere, who, what is the most important position on the field in, in football, the quarterback. Hey man, there has been teams that have faced way worse losses than you and didn't do jack shit. They let the cameramen see them emotional. Let, let them see how the loss affected them. Like I said, we're Ryder fans. So we remember the 13th man penalty. None of those players pushed a cameraman. None of those players sh- tried to hide from TSN. And that was in the finals, in the crippling circumstance. You guys lost in the East final guy. You guys yeah. blew the game. You look at the Hamilton defense destroy you. I know you're emotional, but you literally can't do that. You can't do that. That is, yeah, when you, when you really put all this stuff together, I forgot all of this stuff happened in one weekend for the Argos, yeah. man. That is a bad string of, that's a bad time to be an Arcanaut right there. 
that's that's tough. It's going to be interesting to see what the CFL does in the coming days about Toronto. And I assume there will be a fine towards the organization for the Raptors incident. There will be a fine towards McLeod Bethel Thompson for the cameraman incident. There will be fines and possibly suspensions for the going into the stands and fighting players incident. This will be a rough next few days for the Toronto Argonauts organization. And uh, okay, uh, like I said, the, the Raptors one is tough because you yeah. do that as a great place to promote. And maybe that was just poorly handled by them and the CFL kind of in conjunction. Yeah. But the other two are completely bonehead idiot moves by players. Yeah. There's no excuse for being an idiot for being putting your hands on a cameraman for attacking fans. That is just being a dumbass. That's all that is. So anything that comes in, they deserve it, right? Exactly. It's it's a tough situation to see the Argos in as well when there is speculation about their future in this league. Right. With with the resurgence of the XFL and them possibly wanting to expand into Canada. There's been rumors of Argonauts changing leagues to join the XFL. I personally don't see it happening, but you think if that was going to happen, they would just, it would be the XFL comes in with their own ownership group, their yeah. own football things. And then they, and if Toronto, the Argonauts can't cut it and they fold, they fold. But you don't think it would just be like, oh, we're just going to migrate these leagues because the Argonauts aren't nope. a good enough team or a mainstay team enough that they're like, oh, this is our bread and butter team that we need to flip to the XFL, right? Exactly. I think we'll still see them in the CFL. I think they are the closest team. If you had to pick a team right now, for sure, they are the closest to folding right now. And right, it's scary to see because I don't think they're honestly that far away from having to do it. Like I said, I don't remember a time ever where watching the Argonauts, they looked like a healthy, thriving financial organization, right? There's a reason that game was not sold out. And I don't think it was sold out. If it, no, was, it, it was, it was the closest they had this year. They had 21,000. Right, and 90% of them were Kaka fans, right? Yes. And that's that's the cold reality of it, right? Yeah, it's it's a tough position to be in if you're a Toronto Argonauts fan. I, I'm I'm sorry you have to watch all of this unfold at the, probably the toughest time your organization has ever faced. So if you're a Toronto Argonauts fan listening to this, good on you. You're doing good as a fan. I can't believe you're still holding on for hope here. Good for clinch you. Your, clinch your double blue real tight, guys. We're with you. We stand with you. Yes. We emphasize. Yes. And that brings us to the end of the, the division finals. We now have our Grey Cup matchup, and it is a good one. It is a repeat of the last season's Grey Cup, the 2019 season, with there not being a season in 2020. Yeah. Two years between Grey Cups, and we got the same matchup. It is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers heading to Tim Hortons Field to take on the hometown Hamilton Tiger Cats. It'll be a good one. These are two, I think, I hate to say it as a Ryder fan, but I think these are the two best teams in the league from either division. I would honestly say maybe the best two teams in the league were Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. Yeah. And then probably third would be Hamilton. Third is Hamilton. I would say third is Hamilton pretty, pretty easily. Yeah. Maybe Calgary has something to say, well, tough luck, 
but these are Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Hamilton are the best fan bases. And it's great to see that fan base will be out in full swing. All the Winnipeg Bomber fans will be out there in full swing to see two teams with such a rapid fan base playing in the championship game. It's a shame it can't be us and our rapid fan base, but I'm glad to see it'll show how well the CFL has done when you see those two fan bases come together for the Great Cup. Yeah, it was great to see, I think, three hours after the East final, the Grey Cup officially sold out. The yeah. Tim Hortons field is adding more standing room, 500 more standing room. Right. Um, um, tickets. So that's good to see. This will be a packed house and it'll be a lot of black and gold, but the, the blue and gold will travel well as well. You bet. So we are going to wrap up this episode here. We are going to have an entirely separate episode this week previewing the gray cup so stay tuned for that that'll likely come out this coming weekend we'll preview that game for you get you ready for the biggest game of the year in the cfl we're excited it's the gray cup it's finally here after an entire canceled season as always follow us on instagram and on twitter at the booth ec buy your merch almost christmas time so Stuff those stockings with some booth shirts, some booth hats. It's a great, there's there's some great products on that store for you. Got anything else to say before we wrap it up here, Dave? Uh, just when you actually look back, it, it was a wild little weekend of CFL football, more than I even realized when everything's coming at you and you're just trying to absorb the games and you see all this other shenanigans. But yeah, it's it was eventful. It's a shame it's not the green and white, but there's, these are the next next best fan bases, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, hey, the best two teams repeated the Grey Cup. It'll be good, man. Make sure you keep it locked on here, though. We got the, we got the preview coming. Yeah, yeah. Share, comment, like, all that good stuff. Subscribe. And we will see you back here on the Booth Podcast later this week for the preview of the Grey Cup. <laughs>